also it's the same medication that gives you super boners. So he's like in his <laughs> mid fifties and he's like, dude, I feel amazing. Hey, welcome to the Casually Fit Podcast, episode number 8 million. 8 million! Yeah, it's been a long road for us in these past three or four days where we recorded all of these episodes. Welcome to the Casually Fit Life Podcast, where the two fittish people on earth tell you about fitness. That's right. We are the fittish, and we hope we can make you just a little more fittish as well with our knowledge. So today's episode... We're going to talk about the BDSM of strength and conditioning, also known as accommodating resistance, or you could just call it BDS gym. No, I could do better. You could. I don't know what BDSM stands for, so I can't really chime in here. And then we'll talk about supplements and (laughs) why are the CrossFit games boring? Yes, because they're super boring. All right. uh, Accommodating resistance. So, I first learned about accommodating resistance from Louis Simmons, who's a very large man who wears very tiny glasses, and I'm pretty sure can read German and Russian. So accommodating resistance is a theory that has been popularized by Louis Simmons of the conjugate method. The idea is as you move through a range of motion, you use a device to where the stronger point in that range of motion, the movement gets harder. So typically we do linear resistance. So it's the same weight as you go down in the bottom of a squat and the same weight as you come back up. Mm -hmm. Now in accommodating resistance, one way that we can do that is that we put a band around the bar. So we put it on the, on the bar on either side, and then we attach it to a hook on the ground. So the very top of the movement, the band is stretched the furthest and the resistance is the highest because at the top third of the squat, that's where you're the strongest. Then as you drop down lower and lower and lower into the squat, the band is giving less and less resistance. So you are able to move that weight easier. Then as you stand back up, it gets harder as you rise. Yes, that's right. So there's like three main like ways to do it. The bands is the one, chains are the other common way to do it. Uh, But it's the same principle because as you stand up with chains hanging from a bar, more weight is now hanging from the the bar as it rises off the ground versus when you're putting the chains on the ground. Uh, and then the other one is the releases. Um, I don't know if you've seen like weight releases before. They're common with the bench press for sure. So they're little hooks that go on the end of the bar that they, they, they might be a couple feet long. So that way, when you hit the bottom of your bench press, the bottom of the hook attachment actually hits the ground, which causes it to detach from the bar. That's cool. I've never seen that before. Yeah. So they, they, they hook onto the end of the bar and you can add like weights to them and they're angled like the bottom of it's angled a little bit. So that way when it hits the ground, it causes the hook to release off the bar and then you can press up without that additional weight. So you could overload the eccentric. So is that accommodating resistance or is that just like an eccentric overload? And are they the same thing? I would argue that it's, a form of accommodating resistance. That's what I would think because it's heavier on your stronger portion of the lift. I mean, I'm sure you could classify however they classify those, you know, definitions of what accommodating resistance is. 
but I would say it's the same principle, you know? Yeah. And the way, the way that I think people forget is that you can do this with a spotter. Yeah. hundred. So if you just have a spotter help you at the bottom of the lift and you do eight to 10 reps, it's just not precise. Not that a band is really precise or chains is really precise because it's hard to measure as you lift it off the ground. But the idea is they help you at the bottom, you get it off your chest and then you can finish strong. And that's the easiest way to do it. Yeah. I mean, you could be pretty precise with chains, right? Cause you could always use the same chains and you could always do them like in the same place, you know, like on the same platform or whatever. So yeah. you could be pretty precise with chains um, bands. They change, right? You know, they, they get weaker or you might not get the same band. We actually did a, a band resistance test with a push-up before. So we put our hands on the scale and then we put the band on the floor and we tested what our body weight was at the top and what it was at the bottom of the differential. So it was like, uh, I think that we used a, a green monster band from Rogue and I think it was a 50 pounder at, I guess, it would you'd call it like a 2x roughly 2x distance on a stretch so you can test this on a squat rack if you put a band on your back the band is attached to the floor you stand on the scale you measure your weight at the top and then you measure your weight again at the bottom so you can actually see what the difference is yeah it's really cool and it's, it's a lot of work to solve a problem that doesn't really exist though <laughs> yeah it's always funny though because um like it always seems like you always think in your mind, if you haven't done this type of training before, you always think that you can put relatively the same amount of weight on hmm. that you always put on and just add a band. But uh, often it doesn't work out well like that. You, you end up using a lot, um, a lot lighter weight to keep it safe. But I will say I'm extremely less sore compared to when I'm doing a comparable weight on the bar with a linear resistance pattern. That makes sense to me though, because like for squats, for example, you know, that bottom of the squat is going to be lighter, right? Than what it would be. Yeah. So yeah, that's so, uh, the amortization phase. The amortization phase. Amortization. What, um, so what do you think is the main benefit of doing accommodating resistance? So I think all of Louis programming is you can lift the least amount of weight or with the, like, and get the maximal result. Yes. I love that. Yeah, exactly. So how can, what's like the minimum input that you can give the system for the maximum output, right? How efficient yeah, yeah. can you be, right? I yeah. Like and I, I like it too, because you start to, you can develop speed strength with bands too. That's, so that's what I was going to say was the main uh, characteristic that you're trying to change is the speed. That's what I was going to say. And then speed obviously will help you lift more weight. Mm -hmm. but i like how you phrased it like trying to get the best use the minimum weight for the maximum results i like that yeah now i do think people get this wrong a lot though so take for example the pull-up right mm -hmm. so you have a eccentric and concentric concentric is when you're pulling up eccentric is when you're lowering back down right so where is the strength curve what does the strength curve look like for, for the pull-up like what's the easiest part of the pull-up easiest part of the pull-up is probably in the middle somewhere i would think right so to do an accommodating resistance you put a band on you and as you pull up it gets harder and harder and harder 
but the top is usually the hardest. It's still very hard, yeah. Right, yeah. So it's not like it's getting easier. Now, if you flip the band the other way, you're getting the most amount of help at the bottom. And I think the bottom, like that initial pull, is the easiest. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. So the people who are learning to do pull-ups with band assistance, where the band is helping them go up, is actually opposite of the strength curve. Hmm. So as you get closer to the top, right, everyone gets like three quarters of the way from the bar and then they can't quite make it. And then yeah. that's where the band is helping you the least. Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. I'm just wondering because the only reason why I'm wondering is because there's so many people who otherwise can't do a pull up, right? Mm -hmm. So the band is obviously doing something, right? It's just not doing this what accommodating resistance is intended to do right it would be accommodating assistance yeah yeah exactly which is totally cool and there's like some uh what do they call it the new wave method where it is literally the opposite so you tie a band around a pull-up bar over you and you do a bench press so the band helps you at the bottom and that's just reversing the strength curve or the assistance so I like accommodating resistance for speed and I like pairing it with a low to no weight plyometric movement. Okay. So a banded deadlift paired with a box jump. Box jump, yeah. One of my favorite, or a triple jump or a broad jump or yeah. a single leg jump and reach kind of thing. I think you really, really can get more performance without changing anything physiologically. Yeah. It's like purely neurological adaptation, which is cool because that means you don't have to get bigger. You don't have to get heavier. You're the same person, but you can be stronger than you were before that. I like that. I do get sore from those though. From what? The pairings? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I do like those combinations. I still like how you phrased it though, because I think that is pretty much the key of like, that's the name of the whole strength training game, right? And no matter what you're talking about is what's the minimum input I can do here to get the type of change that I want. And so I just, I, I think that's just a really good way to think about it. So how can you increase your speed, your bar speed without, you know, overloading your system unnecessarily. And that's what the, the bands or chains can do. So they can, you can do this for any lift really, right? Yeah, you can find a way to do it for anything. Um, I really, really like it as a teaching tool for an Olympic weightlifting move, a cleaner, a snatch. Interesting. Okay. So if you've never done banded cleans. It's crazy. Do a hang power clean. I wouldn't do anything other than that. You could do a squat clean too. But what happens is as you approach that top of the movement, if you don't create maximal force on that band, it's going to immediately just snap back downwards and you're not going to have time to get underneath of it. Yeah. So if you get true triple extension, you get a solid consistent pull throughout the whole thing. The band has time to like, you're pulling the bar and the band gets weaker, but that gives you time to transition underneath of it to regain a position of strength. Right. Okay. Huh. I and then the first time, Oh, you haven't? No. Okay, if you do it with a snatch, you got to use the lightest bands that you can possibly find because the range of motion is so big. Yeah, it's a huge range of motion. But just hang power cleans, and then I promise you, you will step off of that into a hang power clean without the bands, and you will punch yourself in the throat with the bar. I could see that. I believe that. I definitely believe that. And if you, I would say too, and there's some, probably some videos of this. If you give me like 
an, an intermediate lifter who knows how to do a clean, they're like pretty proficient with it. I would, I would put money down that I could get that person to PR their power clean in like in that 30 minute session. With that? Yeah, with that. So that's, that's good. I like that. I've never like, never thought about doing it with an Olympic lift, but, um, so what you're saying, what I'm hearing is like, you're teaching that person how to be faster, but obviously you're not changing them like physiologically in any way in 30 nope. minutes. Mm -hmm. But what you're doing is you're kind of showing them that, Hey, really what you're saying is, Hey, you've been lazy. You have been lifting lazy. And, yeah. and now you need to tap into this. And with Olympic lifting, this is not really anything to do with accommodating resistance per se, but with Olympic lifting, uh, I always had like the biggest, the best sessions when I would start off with doing just the muscle snatch, like start mm -hmm. off with the muscle snatch as long as I could. And obviously not going too heavy with that, but well, as heavy as you can, as heavy as you can with the muscle snatch. And then when I transition, I stay at whatever that weight is, stay at that weight and transition to power snatch and then keep building. Mm -hmm. Always had a better session doing that because I'm forcing myself to finish the pool literally yep. and, and be as quick as I can. And I guess you're saying like bands kind of can teach you the same thing. Yeah. And it makes for a good warm up. what you just said. Oh yeah. That's how I'd love to yeah. warm up my- You don't even need to think about it. Yeah. Bar 65, 85, 105. Like you just keep stacking tens and yeah. until you can't, and then you make that transition. And I think that's a super helpful drill too, because you learn to catch it where the bar is and not catch it where it should be. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So accommodating resistance is that really anytime you're going to have a band, you can pretty much just, you know, except for like the pull-up example you pointed out, mm -hmm. but you're having some, you're probably using some form of accommodating resistance. Anytime you have the band um, and chains are meant to do the same, same thing as well. So when you do um, let's call it a push-up, you can take a band and just put it behind your back and put your hands on it. Like it's super, so hard. super yeah. And it's so easy to do that. Yeah. Um, you can do it with like a glute bridge, put it under your feet. If you're deadlifting or squatting, you can put the band on you and then not even on the bar at all. So you can rack it, take a couple steps back and then do your squatting. Just be careful when you pick your feet up because you might get smacked in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the BDSM of, of weightlifting. So it's it like is. kind of, kind of intentional. Bands and chains and you got to throw on your leather, your leather outfit. The leather wraps for your uh, your core. You got your leather belt. And at the top, you just get somebody to whip you. Whip you as soon as you stand the... Uh... I mean, we do uh, smelling salts, right? What's the difference? They're just yeah, waking yeah. you up differently. Top of every squat, just... <laughs> <laughs> as you're rising up, two people just smack your ass with a paddle. Yeah. I might, I might stand it up. I might. You're trying to get it up at that point. And I might stand the bar up too. Yes. Yeah. That, good point. Both of those things. Um, so the cool thing is about accommodating resistance is it's inexpensive to get in on, you know, you just buy a set of bands, which some bands are kind of expensive for, I don't know why. Cause people keep buying them, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you no, know, you can find it like a, a set of bands for, I don't know, 50 bucks maybe. Yeah. And then get after it. And uh, the only cautionary tale I have is, 
Make sure the band is definitely stuck on the weight. So there's no way that it's coming off. Yeah. And as you use those bands more, it's really important to rotate the sides for the bands because they're not going to be even. And one will definitely be tighter than the other. But yeah. that's super easy to do. Just switch bands every once in a while from the left to the right, and you should be good to go. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a good point. It's not meant to be like – the whole point isn't to max out. You're not going for a one rep max. So. Yeah. You, you should be doing reps with it. You know, like, what do you think would be a good uh, workout with bands? Like three reps at a time. Yeah. I would say three to five, even three to six or seven or eight, really. Yeah. And, and like, again, speed is kind of the name of the game. So maybe you're doing, yeah. maybe you're doing 10 by three or something like that, mm -hmm. but you're going for that speed. So even if you have that imbalance there, because you're not at a super heavy weight, as long as you rotate them, it'll probably be, it'll have a minimal effect, that imbalance. But if you're trying to go for like a max out and then you got one band pulling more on the other side, that's going to, I mean, that could lead to an injury, but nothing else It's at least going to throw you off big time. Do you have a favorite, a favorite lift, accommodating resistance lift? Yeah. Uh, well, just the classics. Like it's either for me, it's either going to be a squat or a deadlift, I would think. And I think I prefer the deadlift. I love the banded, box back squat that oh okay yeah it's my like favorite version i do like that combo with the box specifically without the box i don't think i like it nearly as much it's way harder <laughs> yeah because at least with the box you're like super stable in the bottom because you're just sitting on a box yeah okay. yeah it's super fun to do yeah definitely a great way to mix it up and now that we're having this conversation i'm remembering the last episode where I was saying how badly I just wanted to do a conjugate training program and now it's coming back to me. And now I think I'm going to have to do a conjugate program again. And this time I'm going to incorporate accommodating resistance. And it's super fun because it's not traditional. Most people are like, Oh yeah, I got back squats, you know, four by five. And you're like, Oh, that sucks. Been there, done that. But if you get a group of three, and you rotate through, you can keep pushing the weight, you can keep the pace up, you don't need as much rest, you can just kind of like get after it. Yeah. Ah, I'm going to do conjugate now. My form of conjugate. Yes. Uh, all right, cool. So, so supplements. What's up? What's up, man? Laments. <laughs> what's up, laments? All right, now, what do you think is the most purchased supplement in the u.s um are you talking about like for gym people uh, i was sure. gonna say like a multivitamin a multivitamin okay but but i mean if you're thinking like gym i would probably say protein powder yeah so vitamin d is the number one most common supplement of all time oh in the u.s at least interesting that's good yeah, I thought that was a pretty interesting one. I'm pulling up my uh, my list here. So vitamin D was pretty high up on there. Um, then you had like uh, fish oil, of course, yeah, as a super popular one. Let's and say then, which ones we've taken, by the way, as you're going. So I've taken vitamin D. I don't think I've ever taken a vitamin D supplement. I've taken uh, fish oil. I ha I take it. Took it this morning. Um, multivitamin. Yep. And then CoQ10. Are you familiar with coenzyme? or whatever that is, CoQ10. I've only heard of it, but I don't really know anything about it. Yeah, it's an antioxidant for growth and maintenance that decrease over age. 
Nice. Okay. Yeah. So we're too young. We don't need them. No, we don't need them. So um, then you had uh, vitamin, the B vitamins, and then you go start looking at magnesium and calcium. And I think magne- magnesium is super popular. I've taken that one recently. Yeah. And then uh, probiotics. And then everyone knows this vitamin, vitamin C, but no one takes it because it's fortified in a lot of foods. Yeah. I've uh, only done some of those like emergency packs. Like occasionally I get on this kick where I just want the emergency packs uh, just in the water. So I'm not just drinking water. Yes. But um, it tastes kind of weird, doesn't it? It's like, I actually like it. I mean, you could tell that it's, you could tell that it's not like a drink that you just bought from 7-Eleven that it's, it's like some form of medicine, (laughs) but, uh, but I kind of like it. Uh, It just gives me a flavor, but it's been a long time since I've taken that. So I, yeah, I tried it when uh, when I wasn't feeling too good, and I did a couple of days, and uh, yeah. jury's still out if it helped or not. Yeah, probably not. Probably not, but it tasted better than water. <laughs> exactly. And when you're sick too, anything other than water tastes so good. Yes. And that's but okay. So, helpful. like, what other supplements have you taken? So we can give like a list here. We'll yep. This. So on my list, I have. Uh, Protein powder, obviously. Protein powder, I take it every day. Mm-hmm. So I will tell you that um, I've had some some changes in my my belly. So I used to do protein powder and whole milk, and that was a long, long time ago. Same, and the thought of that right now is a little scary. Yeah. So then I was doing protein powder and lactose-free whole milk. Okay. And the whole reason is. I use whole milk because I want as many calories as possible. In yeah, yeah. So I would drink it at work and I would work on the floor coaching for three hours. And if I drank a third of it, I'd, I'd like, oh, I don't feel good. And then I would drink two thirds of it and it feels like my belly was a hot air balloon. Yeah. And then I would go to literally anything else that's non-dairy plus protein powder, totally fine. Mm-hmm. And I can have lactose-free milk, totally fine. But the combo, oh yeah, it was just way too much for my gut. I hear you. I I take it with. I just use water now. I just it's a scoop of the protein powder and water. Do you use the gold standard? What? The protein powder? Well, no, it's called Synthesix. Ooh, Synthesix. By I believe it's BSN Supplements. I believe. Mm -hmm. Let's get it on Amazon, and it's it's good. You remember um Progenics? Yeah. I don't even know if they're still around to be honest with you, but they used to be at like all the CrossFit events and they would give like free samples out and they would always mix their free samples with water, but it tasted so amazing. Like it was yeah. so good. And like, it was really expensive. That was the thing. It was really expensive, but you were like, no way is this mixed with water. This is so good. Mm-hmm. This synthesis stuff is the closest I've been able to find uh, that's not as expensive as progenics. You get like, yeah. I buy the 10 pound bag for 85 bucks, I believe. That's pretty good. So, and that lasts like a couple months, one scoop a day, 90 scoop, lasts like three months. Yeah. Yeah. So I use, um, I use my protein and my protein unflavored was the number one ranked protein on Labdoor unflavored yeah so they're unflavored isn't as bad as you'd think it's pretty like so it is actually unflavored it just 
feels like protein powder in my mouth. Feels like sand or dirt. No, it mixes really well. I got to give them credit for what they did. But I was like, I'm not going to buy 10 pounds of unflavored because that's weird. So I bought the vanilla and it's way too sweet. Yeah, I don't like the vanilla flavored stuff. Like, I like the idea of it, but anytime I get it, it doesn't taste good. Yeah. It just tastes too fake or whatever it is. Yep. The chocolate flavor is like, it's a reliable flavor. I don't know. Maybe we just had it too much as a kid. <laughs> like no, we, I always, yeah, I always come back to the chocolate. Yeah. Every time. I like to like try and switch it up, but chocolate's the only one that is bearable over the long term. Yeah. It's fun to get like cookies and cream or cake batter, but in one pound increments so I can knock it out and then just exactly. be good with it. Exactly. But the unflavored one I will say is like, if you're just mixing it, knocking it back, totally palatable. Um, the vanilla tastes really, really good with coffee. Mm, okay, that's a good move. I like that. It's exceptionally delicious. And then instead of using a creamer, I was like uh, using one of those little uh, frothers to blend like one scoop with like two ounces of anything else really milk not enough to like add a lot of volume but then i'd put that in coffee so you're adding like four ounces to a 20 ounce cup of coffee that's now 25 grams of protein yeah that's nice yeah and it's super super delicious that sounds good so the only the only like um unflavored thing i think i've had another uh another supplement is creatine yep that was number two on my list yeah, that, so I've, do, I've done that unflavored, and that's no big deal because usually when I take it, I just mix it with protein. Um, like I throw it in the protein shake. Even if you don't, though, it's not a big deal. But It doesn't mix well with water, and that's what's super annoying to me. It is. Yeah, that is super annoying. I, I'll give you that. I had but, some friends who would just scoop it into their mouth and then just drink water and be done with it. Yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> This same group of people would put protein powder and water in a red solo cup and mix it with their finger and then drink it. That's disgusting. Yeah, I mix it with a spoon. I'll in do a the cup? Bowl. In a cup, yeah, in a cup like this. You have a shaker, you have a shaker bottle. Yeah, I don't know, I just mix it with a spoon. <laughs> it's not it my knows. finger, it's not my finger. But, uh... So let's say obviously protein powder, using that to get more protein, grams yeah. of protein throughout the day, great for like building mass or uh, even if you just find that you come up short on your protein throughout the day. In, in a college, I took a couple of nutrition classes and one of our, actually it was an exercise science class. The teacher was like, there's no reason to take protein powder because you get enough protein in your regular diet. And she was like, why do you take it? Why do you take it? Why do you take it? And I was like, Okay, first of all, obviously that's not true because the protein powder market is massive. Right. If it didn't do anything, we would find out by now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it definitely, I understand the sentiment. Like she's saying you could just eat like whole foods. Chicken, eggs. But have you, like, first of all, you got to decide how much protein you need in a day. And if you're a vegan, then you're probably saying you don't need more than 80 grams a day. But if you're trying to be a power lifter or a bodybuilder, you're like, I need 220 grams a day. So yep. good luck uh, getting that from chicken. Because I know you can, but it's, mm-hmm. if you're anything like me, that the thought of eating that much chicken makes you want to kill yourself. Yeah. So, and good luck eating that many beans. Oh, yeah. Forget that. 
So yeah, I'm gonna eat less chicken and just have a couple of shakes throughout the day. Yeah, and it's super easy and convenient and you can leave it in your car or you can leave it at work. And if you're hungry, you just knock it back and you're like, all right, that wasn't junk food. I just knocked back some protein. Yeah, and it's actually like enjoyable too. It can't like when you're like, oh, I can either eat another chicken and rice or I can have this protein shake. That could very possibly taste like M&Ms or Oreo cookies. Yeah, so yeah. They're definitely effective. I understand the sentiment about around you don't need them. You could just eat more food for sure, but mm-hmm. whole point that's the whole point of supplements is to make your life easier. Yeah. Right? Like you And they are supplements. They're not like well you co- you said something last time, didn't you? What did I say? The mm-hmm. supplement is like in addition to and then you said co Oh, complement. Oh, complement. Complement. Right, right, right. Yeah, so yeah. So they are something that you should use as a backup and yeah. not a primary right yeah yeah exactly so but then, I've, uh, oh, oh go ahead oh i was going to change change the the other supplements that i've tried well uh, yeah i was just going to mention real quick since we've said creatine the idea behind creatine and why you would take it yeah definitely so like creatine the idea is that the creatine is used in like the short burst uh cycles that are like when you're trying to produce real high intensity output mm-hmm. it's like one it's the first or one of the first things that are used in there so taking creatine getting more of that in your system then you'll be more effective when you're trying to do like sprints or or lifting weights like those really short high intensity uh sessions is what creatine is supposed to be good for so take mm-hmm. creatine you have more effective weight training sessions and you get stronger and faster and all bigger and all that. Yeah. So actually that creatine can boost. I read a research paper that said up to like 60 seconds, they were showing some changes. So normally that energy pathway is 20 seconds. And with that boost of creatine, you have a five or 10 day loading period. Yeah. And then after that, you have a maintenance dose and you should cycle on and off. But it's basically tripling your sprint power or doubling for sure your sprint power. I believe it. I've actually read some things that not, I haven't, I didn't read like deep into it, but I've read some things that suggest that creatine also has some really good like brain health effects, like to, to, I guess, ward off things such as like Alzheimer's. Oh, nice. So like, like neurological, it helps like with some of those things. I'd be interested to do more research into exactly what that is, but I've heard some things about that. And also that it's the recommended dose, I believe is like, two and a half grams a day mm-hmm. uh, the loading dose is like five right yeah it's uh i have that mixed so up it might be like 10 10 might be the loading dose and five might be the daily dose five grams five times a day for five days or five times a day damn. It's a, that's a five day loading period yeah, yeah. or you take 10 grams a day for two weeks and then you dose it down yeah and then you go down to five i believe mm-hmm. a day and i've heard also that you there's really no there's not a need to stop taking it really. Like you could nice. take five every day. I've heard that as well. So, you know, look into that stuff if you're interested in creatine. Have you had creatine cramps? No, I never had a problem with it. Nice. So some people suffer from them because you're pulling water into your system differently and your body doesn't like that. So see. if you're taking creatine, make sure you're drinking 80 to 100 ounces of water, which you should be doing anyway. So just drink normal amounts of water. And then make adjustments as you go. It's a good plan. Yes. Okay. So what's, what's your all- oh? Yeah. What's your creatine brand? Um, I can't remember what it is actually. It's in uh, it's right over here. I can grab it in a sec. But it's it's like 
on Amazon. It's in this white bag. It's a white bag with some sort of red uh, label and it's unflavored. Is it bulk supplements? I think that's it. That sounds right. Cool. That sounds right. <laughs> I'm getting white powder in a white bag with a handwritten label on it. And I'm pretty sure I'm getting the good stuff. It says the good stuff on it. I no. bought it from Hank. I don't know. Hank's so I actually thing. don't take it right now though. I, ha I It's been sitting in my cabinet for like months and I haven't taken it. So I got to get back on it. Well, when we do our conjugate system. Yeah, I'll get back on it. Yeah, it's a good idea. So what, what else? What's the next one you got on your list that you have taken or currently take? So I haven't taken or tried that many supplements, usually because what happens is I'm friends with people who are a little bit older than me and they read an article or find somebody at GNC and they're like, bro. Yeah. I just heard about this deer antler spray. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. whoa, 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 whoa. I've never okay. taken that, but I've known people who've tried it. Yeah. So the only drugs I take are uh, <laughs> erectile dysfunction drugs for no reason other than I like being hard. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, funny story though. I work with a guy. I do personal training with this guy who has a, um, a history of pulmonary embolism. So he's on this medication for his pulmonary embolism. So it keeps his blood a little bit thinner. Also, it's the same medication that gives you super boners. So he's like in his <laughs> mid fifties and he's like, dude, I feel amazing. That's so funny. Yeah. He's like, my, my lungs feel good, but that's not what it's all about. <laughs> they just make you feel extra pumped up. Um, no. So no nootropics are the other drug that I've played around with. I've so, never taken any of those. I don't know what that is. So the idea is that they pass the blood brain barrier. Oh, okay. So you have like uh, your mushroom coffee. What is that? Four Sigmatic. Tim Ferriss is always talking about it. It's like a nootropic. So the idea is that it's a chemical that interacts with your brain chemistry to make you basically run a little hotter, a little faster. So there are downsides because if your metabolism goes up, you need more calories. Otherwise, you're going to crash. Yeah. So the one that worked really well for me was paracetam. And then I took it with acetylcholine. So when you take paracetam, it uses up more acetylcholine, which is a neurotransmitter. And if you don't have enough, the opposite will happen. You become down and slower because you're missing out on that neuro neurotransmitter. Right, right, okay. So you could also not take acetylcholine and just eat a whole bunch of eggs. And I was just super nervous because I didn't want to be low on ACH. Yeah, so but if you've ever seen Limitless, Empty stomach with intermittent fasting, maybe a little ketotic, a little, maybe a little, unrecorded. Paracetam, acetylcholine, and then you hit that with a dose of caffeine, just one cup of coffee. It's like you're flying. Feels Sounds great. Amazing. It is amazing. Sounds and it's not as crazy as like in that scene from Limitless, which I would totally take that drug if it was available. Yeah, who wouldn't? Yeah, I don't know. Did I'm he in. end up killing you or something though? Uh, no, he got away. Oh, okay, I don't remember. It was a long he time he ago. drank spoilers, but someone got hit over the head and they were like bleeding all over the ground, and someone stole his drugs. So he drank their blood, which had a little bit of like NZT. I think that's what it was called in it. I don't remember. And that gave him enough of a buzz to solve his escape. Interesting. Yeah, that movie's pretty fun. I don't know. I like Brad Cooper. Yeah, yeah, he's good. He's definitely good. 
So I've never taken nootropics. I've taken, uh, okay, so one that I've done was like the green drink, where it's just basically like ground up vegetables, basically like powdered vegetables, I guess. Is that, was it called the green drink? Uh, no, I forget what it was called. I think I just looked up like a vegetable supplement. And there's like different brands of them, but they all yeah. just help you get all those little micronutrients that you don't athletic greens is the one that yeah yeah that's i don't think that was the one because i know that was the expensive version of what i wanted but i got like the cheap version of that and then i've taken a nut you mentioned um coq10 but i've taken another uh what's it called what is that thing called you what is coq10 antioxidant you said antioxidant yeah yeah i took one that was i think it's called it was called like uh Mm -mm -mm. NAD, I believe. Yeah, and that's in aerobic metabolism, right? Yeah. Anaerobic metabolism. Was it called NAD? I want to say it was called NAD or NAD plus. But that could just be in my brain for another reason. But it was one of those uh antioxidants that I take used to take. And then what else have I taken? I took this one thing that was called Prime Test. And it was like this, it was this uh, supposedly a testosterone booster, but it was like just a bunch of herbs in a pill and you take it like once or twice a day and it was supposed to naturally boost your testosterone. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't get jacked or anything, so I don't think it worked. But uh, how did your, uh, your wife feel about it? Or your partner? <laughs> um i don't think it did anything got it <laughs> at all got it uh, she was thrilled just because of me naturally like obviously as always she doesn't need any more of you exactly i don't think it did anything uh at all i think i just got gypped um but then what else have i I'm trying to think if there's any other supplements i may have taken i took one more and it was the uh the pag stack it was polycosinol, alpha lipoic acid, green tea flavanols, and garlic extract. And then you're supposed to pair that with cod liver oil. Do mm. not buy cod liver oil, no matter how. If it was magic energy pills that made you fly, I would still not take it. Mm. Fermented that, cod liver oil. That, those, that sounds bad. Fermented, yeah. That sounds I bad. bought a bottle for like $60. And I used one sip of it and I threw the rest away. <laughs> no, I didn't drain it. That's terrible. I closed that shit up tight, put it in a bag, put it in the trash can and took it out immediately. <laughs> I had a teaspoon of it. I thought I was going to throw up. And then for the rest of the day, I was just burping up fermented cod liver oh. oil. Smell. Oh, no. Dude, I tried it with everything. Ice cream, applesauce, nothing. No. Yeah, I don't think... I don't think, oh, oh BCAAs. There's oh, nice. Branch chains, yeah. Branch chain amino acids, yeah. I like them as like a pre-workout drink, but those usually give me pretty bad cotton mouth. Really? I, I don't get that experience. I usually take them as a post-workout, but um, I guess the idea with those from the reading that I did, the limited reading that I did, the idea with those, it's supposed to help like your CNS recover. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. That's what I've heard. CNS recover from amino acids? Yeah. 
Yeah, from being like super taxed if you do like a high intensity workout that taxes your, whether it's lifting or like just high intensity interval training or whatever, it's supposed to help the recovery of that. Because apparently like you get, I don't know if it's neurotransmitters, but I guess so, that get imbalanced when you, you know, tax the system like that. And mm -hmm. apparently those are, the BCAAs are supposedly help with that recovery in some way. So what's your recommended regime for, or rotation for someone who works out four to five times a week, does some high intensity interval training and some weightlifting? Um, I mean, I think pretty much most of the ones we said would be fair game because none of them are like, none of them are like game changers necessarily. And I think that's the important thing to know is that supplements aren't game changers. They just, you already said it, they just add to whatever else you're doing. We're talking one, one to 2% performance boost. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. At best. Um, so I think any of the ones we named, if you pick, you know, two or three of them that you feel like you are missing out on because of your diet or your lifestyle or whatever. So whatever two or three fill those gaps for me personally, I right now I'm doing like the fish oil, the multivitamin and the protein powder. Yeah, those plus creatine, that's like a pretty good, like, let's get started. Let's take some supplements. Let's see what happens. Yeah, exactly. I think those plus creatine, I don't, I'm just personally not doing the creatine right now, but like I could throw it in there. It wouldn't, wouldn't bother me to throw it in there. Mm -hmm. So yeah. But like, if you feel like you need vitamin D then throw that one in there. It's, yeah. No I mean, I live in Pittsburgh and it's not sunny at all. And I'm pretty sure every person in Pittsburgh should just take vitamin D anyway. Yeah, yeah. I think everybody in the Northeast should take it. <laughs> we should just stop living in the Northeast and move south. That's, that's, that sounds like a plan to me. But um, I like it. I like the recommendations for that. So, so because we're talking about supplements, we have to talk about some performance-related things. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting worse in my transitions. They're getting worse. <laughs> Oh, wait, was that a trend? Let me hear. What, I didn't know that was a transition. Speaking of supplements and 1% performance, why are the CrossFit games so boring? Yeah, that was a bad transition. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. People are just here for the video. Yeah. To all of our podcast listeners. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like this topic. Um, why are the CrossFit games so boring? Well, first of all, do you think the CrossFit games are boring? Okay. So... I hate Dave Castro. I'm going to say it. So. I, I know that like my reflex is to hate him. So I think I overcompensate and try to give him the benefit of the doubt in some things. Um, but yeah, it's tough sometimes with him, right? It's just his professionalism that I don't like. I like the programming of the games are fun to watch event to event, but I just don't like the way that he is in charge of basically a hundred million dollar event. And it seems like it's just a backyard competition with a guy who just does whatever he feels like doing whenever he feels like it. Yeah, I can see that. I agree. He does program some cool workouts. Some of them are. And then some of them I think are dumb, honestly, like, uh, I'm trying to think cyclocross. I thought that was so dumb. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was so dumb. Like, I get it. Like, if that's your sport and that's what you do, but you might as well have had them play like pickup basketball or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe that's coming. 
just play a different sport altogether, and that's the event. You know what I mean? Yep. So, so, so how many times has Matt Frazier won in a row? Five, right? Yep. I think. Yeah, he's five. And how many times has Tia won? Um, three or four. I think she is four. Yeah, I don't remember. I think she was one behind you. I think you're right. So, regardless, you have this, like, four, we'll call Tia's, Tia's span four years. The same two people winning first place over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. So, is it fun to watch, like, when Lance was just winning the events over and over and over, was it still fun to watch the Tour de France? I don't fucking know. I didn't watch that. Okay, that sport is super boring. <laughs> anyway, there's people riding bikes close yeah. together. Seven days. <laughs> it's cool, and it's a cool display of athleticism, but but it's not fun to watch the same person win over and over It's not spectator-friendly, yeah. No, it's not. You can't even spectate it. You can't. Yeah. It's not possible. You have to go on TV. Or you stand there, and you're like, yeah! Okay, now they're all gone. I always wonder about that. I always wonder about that exact thing. When you see, like, typically it's with a, like you said, a bike race or a marathon or something. And, like, you see people, like, they're halfway through the marathon, but yet people are cheering for them. It's like, you guys just went to, like, watch the middle of the race? Like, you, that's all you're going to see? So I worked the Pittsburgh marath marathon for a couple years, and that is exactly what happened. But, like, I would get it if you were just at the finish line. I no, I was at mile 17. Like we were just in the middle. I was <laughs> just watching like people were just gathered, just like, yay! There were volunteer cheerers. And All they, you see. They registered as volunteer cheer cheer squad. Interesting. Interesting. And but, every time a big group would come, they'd ring a bell and it was it was strange. But anyways, back to the CrossFit games. So I think you could argue the CrossFit games are not very spectator friendly either i think i think they've gotten better with how they program certain things and set them up to make them a little more spectator friendly well, you know having, some ideas from grid league yeah yeah exactly like having stations where the barbell progresses so you can visually see who's in, in the lead yeah i think that's that helps that type of stuff helps but i think also just the nature of like I, i'll watch football and i don't play football you know, I watch basketball and I don't play basketball. But in order to watch CrossFit, you you like you have to do CrossFit in order mm -hmm. to watch it. Because otherwise you don't really understand what's going on. You don't really understand like, oh, I guess I guess two hundred pounds for twenty-one reps is a lot. I don't know. I would I would say that if you're in a, a barbell strength sport, you get it. Yeah, yeah. If you do any sort of, you have to do something similar though. Powerlifting, yeah. strongman, ollie lifting, you know, just deadlifting because it's fun. So you have like a point of reference. But yeah, you need that point of reference. Is my point. Like, whereas I think with something like strongman, you have people who don't work out who might still be captivated by the idea of strongman because they're lifting cars and yeah. like refrigerators and stuff. You know, it's like, oh well, uh, that I get that. You know, right? It's but a barbell. You're like, I don't. I don't, I don't know what 200 pounds on a bar means if you don't work out. You know what I mean? So it's pretty much watching a guy, like in basketball, the parallel would be watching a guy take shots from different places in the court, uncontested, but whoever makes the most shots from the most places, the fastest wins. 
Mm. Like you ever play around the world in basketball? Yeah. Yeah. So like just have two people, one person on either side of the court, they just shoot and whoever finishes first wins. Yeah. And then there's a tiebreaker of accuracy percentages or something like that. Yeah. And that's not fun to watch either. It could be. I will say, I want to go back to the CrossFit games in a second, but you've mentioned around the world and I just saw this video. Hilarious. Michael Jordan. And in the video, he's obviously already retired. It could have been maybe five years ago or something. And he's at this basketball camp and there's, you know, a hundred kids, like middle school age, maybe high school age kids at this basketball camp. And the guy who's running it calls Michael Jordan over and says he's going to play around the world. He's going to do a thing of around the world. And if he misses a shot, all the kids, every single one gets a free pair of Jordans. And so Jordan looks at him and he just shrugs his shoulders, goes, okay, drains every single shot like a savage. He doesn't give a fuck about those kids. No, no just like a savage, just drained them all. Man, you're supposed to have bricked the last one on purpose. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. No, no, you're supposed to drain them all and then give them shoes anyway. I don't know okay. if you yeah. I don't know if he did give him shoes anyway. Probably not because that wasn't what was agreed on. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you guys. But I just thought it was savage that he just. Everyone. He was just like, all right, and just drained them all. <laughs> He's in jeans and just like <laughs> chilling. Oh, so cool. But anyways, so back to the games. I think we're talking about like spectator friendliness. I think that that can be overcome. I think the main problem though is what you mentioned where you have the same two people just winning it. Mm -hmm. And especially when you're talking about the guy's side, like it's not even close, like not Mm -hmm. even close. The girl's side, at least there's a a race every now and then that gets exciting. Mm -hmm. Guy's side, not even close. So, I mean, what do you think? Do you think that that's a factor or do you think that you could still be exciting without that? So I used to watch every event of every everything basically until Matt won twice in a row. Yeah, I think so. I, I think that's the same for me. I just don't know if that's just like a coincidence that that's when I fell off or if that's like reflective of how most people. Well, Rich's last year and then Ben's win and then Matt's win were like three of my favorite games to watch. Yeah, back to back to back. Those were great. Yeah, yeah different people. It was literally a toss up. You had no idea. Um, the events were cool. My favorite Rich Froning moment ever was in regionals. Oh, the one where he goes under the bar, you said? He goes under, yep. He jerks it up and walks under the bar. That was the most badass, like, this is me. I'm here. You guys are nothing. I like it. Um, yeah, and then the events, I feel like they lose their ability to evolve because of the complexity of the sport too. So you have to try hard. Like the worm was cool the first year, but then after that, it's, it's still the worm. That's, that's, a good, that's a big point of contention for me is that goddamn worm because they use it, ever since they introduced it, they use it in almost every event, not just every year, but like right. as often as they possibly can use it, they use it. And with a barbell, you could say, oh, they use the bar in every event. But, like, there's a lot more things you can do with the barbell. Yeah. Whereas with the worm, they just end up doing basically different versions of the same workout every time. Clean to the shoulders, squat, jerk, squat, drop. Like, so boring to watch that. But I think – so I I agree with you. I think that the 
I think that the people, Matt and Tia winning easily, especially again, Matt winning by no contest year after year after year makes it very boring. And I think a lot of people kind of feel that way too. So my brother asked me this question when the games were going on like a week or two ago, he texted me and he was like, yo, why are these so boring anymore? And that's kind of what inspired this. So he was watching them and he, he asked you, he said they were boring. He always like tunes into the leaderboard and whatnot. And I don't know if he watched like a video at all, but he just tunes into the leaderboard. And I guess back when, like, again, when Rich was there and everything, like we would watch it and it would be exciting. And then now it seems like we don't care anymore. And he's just like, yo, what's up with this? Like, why does it feel that way? And I said to him, and this is what I think is like, you're saying same people winning, but why are the same people winning? And his point was, there's no way. There's so many fucking people in the world. There's no way we've already found the Best. most dominant people. Like, what's going on? Yeah. And my idea, my thought is that there's just not enough money in the sport. Right? Yep. So, like, I mean, it's kind of twofold, too. Because it's not like you can – it's not like anybody can just do it easily, right? You typically have to go to a gym – which is going to cost like 120 to 150 bucks a month. So like you can't, not just anybody's going to sign up for that. So that's a kind of a barrier to entry right there. And then on top of it, the only people who can make a living being an athlete in the sport are like the top five from each division. Right. I think it's a little bit more widespread than that as fitness comes to the forefront, especially in America. Right. So I think more than the top five people make, make a living because every shoe like brand a, and like, what do you need? You need, I don't know, 50 K. Yeah. 50 K I would say 50 K a year for it to be like, well, I don't know. So here's the deal. Like I agree. 50 K a year is definitely enough to call it a living, mm -hmm. but you're talking about, you're talking about a, a maybe a possibility yep. of 50 K a year. Right. Yeah. Like and, and you can have people that go to the games. You can have somebody who goes to the CrossFit games, a man or a woman goes to the CrossFit games for the past six years in a row and hasn't made more than like a thousand bucks from that. Okay. So I don't, I, okay. So this is what happens in other sports where you can't really make a living. So a company, I don't know, XYZ insurance is like, I want, I want a CrossFit Games athlete or I want a professional golfer. So now you work for me, I don't know, 10, 20 hours a week or none. And I'll take care of you. But everything that you mention is XYZ insurance. It has to be. Yeah. Okay. Now you're just my publicity thing. But the thing with CrossFit is you have to be a specific type of person. You have to, if you're a guy, you come from Olympic weightlifting and you're successful maybe not a medalist, but like you need to snatch like high twos, clean and jerk in the threes. Then you need three years to develop 50 pull-ups and a sub six minute mile. And now you have a shot. Like you're not even in and you can't be in. in That's what I'm year. saying. Like, like I understand that there are a lot of people who make like, you know, small amounts of money amounts, doing it, yeah. mm -hmm. but even then it's only a possibility to get that. Like you don't know that you're getting that. There are people who've gone to the games multiple years in a row, never really made a dime off of it. 
like maybe they got like one sponsorship one year where they got free food for like, you know, meal prep or whatever, but like not really a living. And they, they were at the games, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so it's like, you're working your ass off just at the chance of making 50 K a year. And then only if you actually, you know, make it, make it, make it to the top. Are you actually going to be like living that professional athlete life? Do you have a proposed solution? I mean, I, no, I haven't thought about that. You just need more money in the sports. Well, I wonder if, if you couldn't treat it the same way that you treat teams, right? So you have your bench people and they're making a little, they're making enough to survive. And then above the bench, you have like the starters and then above the starters, or like you have the players that play and then above them you have the starters, right? So if Nike, Under Armour, Reebok, Puma, like whatever, you pick a few brands are like, listen, we're going to, we're going to put two and a half million dollars a year to be in charge of 10 athletes. And not only do you pay them, you know, 50,000 or whatever, but you can feed them. You can take care of their physical necessities outside of training. You can have a coach on staff. That's the Nike coach. Yeah. Right. And that coach like uh, Bergeron or any top tier coach just comes in and they work with these athletes through different phases and you sign a three, four year contract, something short, you know, a $200,000 contract over four years for Under Armour is like, they don't care. It's like nothing. Yeah. So can, is the sport interesting enough to make those companies put some money behind the sport? And I don't know. Well, that's okay. So a couple of things here, like first let's compare it to the big sports that we know about basketball and football, for example. Like, so in the NBA, in the NFL, way more athletes, just mm -hmm. way more athletes than who gets to go to the CrossFit games, right? Yeah. At the CrossFit games, the highest level of the sport, they're taking like 100 athletes, yeah. maybe 150 or something like that. Whereas in the NFL, NBA, whatever, it's higher. So first of all, there's just more spots available, if you will. And then on top of that, everybody on the nfl team even on the bench like the minimum is what like a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars like on the bench minimum yeah. like yeah. squad is like 150 i don't know something like that so like there's a lot more spots and all of them are doing well and basketball is ridiculous those numbers that the people making basketball are just absurd so what we need to do or know is how much revenue does the crossfit games bring in as a brand by itself. Well, then that's the other side of the coin. I just watched this video about this sport that they like recently started in India, uh, but actually they didn't, they didn't really start it. It's a sport that's been around for a long, long time, but it was never, it was never like something they would watch on TV or anything like that. It was a sport that people, it's like tag essentially, something that people would just play out in the field, basically. Um, it wasn't something that a professional sport and just within the past couple of years, they decided to turn it into a professional sport, but they had to make certain changes to it. So that way it would be captivating and, and like intriguing. And they, and the first year they had 500 million viewers. Oh shit. In the first year. So in their first season. So like that points back to what we were originally talking about with Dave Castro and how he's programming the games and making them interesting. Yeah. So if they can do that with a sport that's essentially tag, 
I mean, you can find a way to do it with CrossFit, right? What's the name of that sport? It's called something with a K. Ku, Kabari, Kubari, something like that. I'm definitely going to check out that. But I, you're right, though. There needs to be, or a, I think, a season of CrossFit where you have 1v1 matches, you have, you know, 2v2s, or even, like, anything longer than just – basically, there are two live events. Call it three if the Open is part of it, but the Open isn't really live. Right. So you build a season around it, and then, you know, the, the purists will say – well, you're not periodizing correctly because you can't peak more than once a year. Well, to be the fittest, you should be the fittest most of the time. Yeah. Which I would say Fraser would just win the whole thing anyway. He would, yeah. <laughs> but you, you put different people, so you take him out of the limelight. So one week you have Fraser versus, I don't know, a Panchik. And then the next week you have, um, you know, Olsen versus um, – What's Ed Sheeran's Super Saiyan form? Um, Pat Vellner. Pat Vellner. Funny. <laughs> yeah. So then you like create these microcosm events and they'd be fun to watch. Yeah, for sure. So part of it is just money in the sport. Yeah. Part of it is, well, how do you get the money in the sport? The sport needs to be entertaining. So that's yeah. come back to how they put the competitions on. So what you're saying. And then the other part that is still key though is the barrier to entry. Yeah, super high. It, it is. I mean, it's not the most high. There are sports that are definitely higher, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, like golf or something like that, where you have to pay to play on a club. Every time. You either have to pay <laughs> some absurd yeah. membership or you have to pay like 40 bucks every time you play. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and that's like, like a cheap course. So... So, like, it's not the highest level of entry, but it's not basketball where you can just go to the park and yeah. buy a $12 ball somewhere. Yeah. So, it's not that. And basketball and football and baseball, these are all at every high school all throughout America. You can mm -hmm. just sign up and be on the team. <laughs> now, I would totally love to see functional fitness as a collegiate sport, and I think that can grow it. Yes, I would agree. And that is – a happening mm -hmm. and be happening right down the street like yeah same thing with us we have the uh the university of pittsburgh crossfit club come to our gym yeah and we have the west coast one so so that is happening the rivalry is started it's helping um but i don't know how it works at your gym or really how it works at because i'm sure it happens at other gyms across mm -hmm. the country delaware is a big one yeah yeah but i don't know like if people sign up for the club like at school they sign up for the club at school and the club goes to the gym to do their workouts and their training and whatnot like what are the fees associated with that club are you basically just paying a, a gym membership at that point at ours they pay the they pay nothing okay uh, so that yeah the university will give them money and they rent out our gym for a very, very low fee. But like to join that club at the university, do they have to pay anything? No, there? it doesn't cost them anything. Okay, so anybody can just sign up. They're in. They don't need to yeah. pay a club fee. Right. And you guys, they pay you guys, but that's money from the university. Not. Yep, that's right. Yeah, and they have space at the university. But usually, <laughs> as funny as this sounds, the first two weeks, they hit them with like, 
Fran, Jackie, Diane, Elizabeth, Murph, and they like weed out the people who are fakers. I see. I don't know if that's a good idea, but it's just how it works with them. That's just what they're doing. I got you know, you. they get 200 signups the first week. And they're then like, we got to whittle this down. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. It's insanity. And then I would say that University of Pittsburgh would probably lose in a, in a team battle versus Westchester. I, I don't know. I, don't, I haven't seen, like, I don't know. I don't know how they perform. But, um, okay, but that's good, though. So they can just sign up, and they don't have to, there's no barrier of entry for them then. Correct. Really, like, not much at all. So it's funny that we bring this up. Um, we should talk about this again, because I would love to be the head CrossFit coach at a university. I think that would be super fun. That'd be cool, right? Every couple of years, you get a new burst of athletes. You have your captains. You know, they could be, it could be a project for the exercise science club. The physical therapy um, students have like this group of athletes who want to be healthy and be better. You have like some, some across state lines competition. And yeah. the whole premise is to be healthy. So you have the people who are in the club that don't compete and they just want to lose 10 pounds, lower their blood pressure, like just feel better in their own skin. And then you have the competitors and they kind of all like intermingle because real life, you're going to have that intermingling between the unhealthy, but want to be healthy and the super athletes. Yeah. And that interaction will have people in different areas meeting and connecting. And I love that idea too. Yeah. So I think those are like the three problems you have to solve. And I mean, the first one, the barrier to entry problem, I mean, they're all, they're all these problems that like, I don't think anybody put in place on purpose, right? It's just like the nature of, it's just the nature of that system. Like yeah. you, you need a lot of equipment. Yeah. Even if you're one person, you need, then you need a full garage gym worth of equipment. And That's a coach. A lot of money. That's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. So you're either going to spend thousands of bucks on that for yourself, or you're going to pay 150 bucks a month to go to a gym like there's yeah. no real workaround right i'm hopeful though i'm hopeful and i think the sport is super young and they have potential with especially the new ceo yeah 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 he has some ideas i hear so he that also built a company and sold it for like 500 billion dollars or something crazy like that yeah, something crazy like that. So if he can start his own thing and do that, like I, I, I have, I have faith in Eric Rosa. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see what he can do. The, I think one of the crucial aspects of it though, is that programming piece. Like, and maybe not just when I say programming, I just mean how they do the whole thing, how they put on the show. Right? Yeah. And I don't know. Maybe there is a limit to that. Maybe there's a ceiling to how interesting it can be. Yeah, there are so many things you could do because you can go into local cities for different weeks of the competition. You know, so you have like the CrossFit arena in Austin, Texas, and then you have the CrossFit arena in like San Jose. You have different like, you know, you just create a course because if it's at some box, that's cool, but it's not feasible to run a media team effectively as you drive two or three tractor trailers worth of equipment across the country, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. I don't know. But One I think tractor trailers just for equipment. I think rogue could do it. Yeah. I mean, they could make it work. Another company that I think has cool potential to find like 
some ownership here. Yeah. I don't know. It's just interesting. I think those are the problems, really. Most of it's money, and most of it is also just making it interesting, making it exciting for the spectators. Hmm. I don't know. I hope they figure it out because it's a fun sport. Um, and I miss kind of when it was exciting for me to watch it, you know? Yep. So I'd love for that to come back. Uh, but yeah, they got some obstacles to overcome. So. so if you guys have any suggestions on how the CrossFit games can be better or more fun, especially if you don't care that much about CrossFit because you're the person that we're trying, that would be like the ideal feedback from. Right. You know, yeah, exactly. Having a devout fan isn't going to give useful feedback because they'll just watch it no matter what. And there's nothing wrong with that, but the, the feedback that's the most helpful is that constructive criticism from a place of, oh, I've heard of it and I've watched a little bit, but it didn't catch my attention. Yes, exactly. So drop that info in the comments below. Boom. And like, comment, share, subscribe, whatever else it may be. Because this is the Casually Fit Life Podcast, and we're just trying to bring you some knowledge about what it means to live a casually fit life. Fitish. Anything else you want to add? I got nothing. Take your supplements, put some bands on, have some chains around, enjoy your life, and uh, have a great rest of your day. Perfect. Peace.